When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Yeah. Hello, Slider Crusaders. America's greatest country in the world. San Diego's America's finest city. Thanks for being here. I had a misunderstanding. Uh, two o'clock, we're talking to Sharon uh, from Let Them Breathe. Uh, my fault, father. I called her now. Whatever. Uh, so at 2 o'clock, we'll talk about that. Um, sometime, maybe this hour, we'll see how things go. I want to talk about the State of the Union and uh, my five predictions for what Joe Biden is going to say tonight because it is all so predictable. I'm not patting myself on the back for what surely will be getting five out of five right. Uh, it's, it's just uh, it's that obvious. But you know how I feel about the State of the Union address. Well, you know how I feel about the State of the Union and you know how I feel about the State of the Union address. Uh, I had a misunderstanding a moment ago, thinking that we were talking to Sharon now, but it's in fact at two o'clock. Uh, I have another misunderstanding here, uh, one with much higher uh, and more grave implications. My point here is of this segment is to highlight how bad things can happen from slight misunderstandings or foolish mistakes. The European Union announced the other day that it was providing jets to Ukraine to fight Russia. They said they would immediately. Well, let me let me say this first. Uh, just that. Hey, we're going to be giving jets to Ukraine to fight Russia. Okay, Russia would expect that. Not an escalation. Uh, proper makes sense. Okay, fine. But then they said they would immediately be sending jets within the hour is the words that no 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 excuse me the jets would be flying within the hour were the words that the european union used well that means that the jets would be piloted by pilots from europe from the european union not ukrainians well that's very different it's one thing to send jets to Ukraine to be flown by Ukrainians. It's another thing to send jets uh, into Ukraine flown by European pilots. Totally different. Now, as soon as people, as soon as people noticed that, the claim was retracted. It's like, oh, no, we're not. Never mind. Sorry. What? Then reports came out that Ukrainian pilots arrived in Poland to pick up the new jets themselves. Now, I don't know if this really happened or not, or this was just the European Union's attempt to cover, because how are Ukrainian pilots even going to get to Poland? I got even, like, what are they even talking, right? But okay, fine, let's say that happened. Uh, sure, but Ukrainian pilots can't fly the jets that the European Union gave them, uh, or even if they're Polish jets, they don't have the training to fly those specific types of jets, which means, again, that they must be being flown by Europeans. Now, either way, even if it didn't, even if Ukrainians were flying them, Russia has bombed all the, what we think, many at least, of the Ukrainian bases. So how are the planes going to take off? Oh, well, now the planes are going to take off from Polish bases, from NATO bases. Well, hold on. So now you're telling me we have 
let's do uh, let's do best case scenario and worst case scenario. Best case scenario is we have Ukrainians flying uh, NATO jets from NATO air bases in Poland to attack Russia. <laughs> All right, that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is you have British pilots flying British planes from Polish or NATO air bases, uh, NATO bases in Poland, and uh, to kill Russians. Like, well, hold, well, now that like that's that's an attack by NATO, and that's all Russia needs to attack a NATO country like Estonia, for instance, and then all hell breaks loose. So you see how small something can be that trips the whole thing up. If there are fighter jets, even ones flown by Ukrainians that take off from NATO bases in Poland and attack Russians, even that is enough of a provocation from NATO for Russia to justify attacking more. Could be simple misunderstandings, could be tiny things like that. Just be on the lookout. And it's going to be, it's not going to be that, but it'll be something like that. It'll be something that small or, or seemingly small or that like, oh, wait, what? That's what, oh, ugh, or, or an errant this or that, or, oh, we didn't even mean to do that. Or a misunderstanding or a mistranslation even of something is all it takes to spark uh, really bad things. And I'll just make this one last claim here. Uh, you can't crush Putin. We got, we got to get this out of our brain. There's no shock and awe in Russia. It's one thing to do it in Iraq. You cannot shock and awe Russia. You're not going to crush Putin. Not an option. You don't want a civil war in a, or a power vacuum in a nuclear power country. You don't want or need even to push Putin to the absolute edge. The solution to this is a stalemate. The solution to this is to get back to the way things were last week. Because if Putin thinks that he's going to be killed or dethroned by NATO or by Russians, losing is not an option for him. He will start dropping nukes. Why not? What does he have to lose? You don't want people to, with nukes to be in a situation where they got nothing to lose. Now, he won't do it out of nowhere. He's not just going to drop nukes randomly. He'll escalate it slowly but surely. Right? First, one of those, uh, I'm just wargaming it out quick, right? So one of those uh, EU jets, NATO jets, takes off from Poland. Right? So, uh, and then they shoot down a Russian plane. Okay. Uh, well, now Russia strikes that airfield in Poland. <laughs> And NATO's like, uh, okay, don't do it again. And then Putin attacks Finland. Okay, well, hold on, because there's border there, right? And then England's like, well, you can't do that anymore. So then they start attacking uh, uh, Kaliningrad, which is like this weird little part of Russia that's not connected to Russia. It's just north of Poland. <laughs> now you got so long. So England just attacked Russia, just attacked Kaliningrad. Okay, now we'll drop a nuke or whatever, right? So you see how that escalates? It's like it's one little, one quote unquote little thing at a time. That's not a far-fetched scenario anymore. And it is, uh, it would be wise for Western leaders to think very seriously 
about what their end goal even is. It's odd. I'll admit it's odd to be in a situation where we're not looking for total annihilation, right? That's that's your usual MO. We want to kill all the Taliban, whatever, right? Let's kill them all. But that's not it. Right now, we want we want the old world order. And by old world order, I mean last week. Whatever was last week is preferable to what could happen very soon if cooler heads do not prevail. This is Tom Nichols. He says, if you think intervention is worth World War III in Ukraine, and yes, I understand the arguments for that, then just say it. Just say it. But know that if NATO did intervene and Russia widens its war to go after NATO nations, they will lose. But first, there will be a rally among Russians who would much rather fight NATO than their brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And when Russia is faced with losing, then this is no longer over Putin's war in Ukraine, but the general staff's losing war in Europe. People in Moscow who might never agree to go to the wall for Putin might be willing to go down in flames rather than lose to NATO. Way too many of you have lived in a world of peace and security for so long that you cannot even imagine the cataclysmic risks you're advocating. This is not a game. And it's not a social media campaign. Sober up. Let's come back next. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Yeah, let me come back next. And I'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the State of the Union. And I'll tell you what Biden is going to say tonight. Hey, Secretary, I was looking at uh, video. These are really the first videos and pictures I've seen of the aftermath of bombs and all the rest here. Uh, some dead bodies. Amazing. Uh, it's funny. We're still in, you know, this like hypothetical war mode or where it's a video game and all the rest. Like, oh, no, there's a bunch of dead people because of a bomb that just dropped from Russia. Amazing. Um, and we don't know. We're not even. And I, I admit, I'm not. What do I know? How can I begin to wrap my head around <laughs> war? And what'd that be like? We're, we're, so, we're so weak. I, since, that was the theme of uh, the show. We, we did, uh, we recorded two hour preview of the State of the Union this morning on the TV and it's just gonna replay uh, before the, the State of the Union tonight. But that was one of the, the main points is that we're just weak, we're just a weak country. The State of the, the, state of the Union is uh, weak. Uh, I like John Phillips, he said the State of the Union is in decline, but doesn't mean it can't be turned around. That's an important uh, point, of course. Still not too late, in decline, but still not too late. So I'll tell you exactly what the state of the, what, what Biden's going to say at the State of the Union tonight. I look forward to uh, perhaps a, a, a hot mic moment, an off script moment. We'll see. I doubt it. There's usually not. Although Biden's not good at reading the teleprompter. And may the whole thing may even be sad to watch. Right? A feeble man barely able to make it up to the microphone at all. So there's five things that Biden's going to mention tonight. First, he will declare victory over COVID. Take these to the bank, by the way. I guarantee you he'll do all five of these. He's going to declare victory over COVID. And he's going to say something like, because of the steps we took, because we followed the science, because of the wonderful CDC, because of our thoughtful analysis, because of this, because of that, because of all the things we did, we are now at a point where we can not wear masks and be safe and go on and live life and blah, blah, blah. Now, of course, uh, the government had nothing to do with this. There's zero effect that the government had all at all 
on the transmission or severity of a virus. Nothing in any way whatsoever. And you know that. We don't need to go over it, right? But he'll say, because of the things we did, we've declared victory. Okay. Let me say this too, by the way. Nothing I'm saying here is like brilliant. Like, oh, wow, Slater, like great deep. No, I'm just outlining it here, right? And when he says all five of these things, oh, my gosh, Slater, it's a brilliant analysis. No, this is as obvious as can be. All right, second thing. He's going to say that uh, the unemployment rate's lower than it's ever been. Um, and, of course, that's because the unemployment rate is a very flawed metric where it only counts that people who are looking for jobs. Uh, but the big one is he's going to say he created more jobs than any other president in history, something like that. And of course, it's because they start counting at the lowest point that we ever were at because of the government mandated lockdowns, right? So let's say we're going along at uh, making a number up, 300 jobs. And then because of government mandated lockdowns, there's uh, 100 jobs. And now we're back up to 200 jobs. He's like, well, look, I created 100 jobs. <laughs> You're like, well, well, no, you, you didn't. We're not even up to where we were when we lost the lost lost the two you can't say you i mean it's the old government breaks your leg and gives you crutches and says that you wouldn't be able to walk without them that's exactly what that's going to be so get ready for that number three he's going to say kids are back in school because of us kids are back in school what he will not mention is that school from at least everyone here in california doesn't resemble normal at all there's no resemblance to normal in any way whatsoever no extracurriculars, no sports, uh, still the threat of vaccines on kids. Um, been two years of almost nothing, you know, huge learning loss. He's not going to talk about any of that. You know, the, the left loves talking about ed the education gap between rich and poor and black and white and all these different education gaps that exist. It's, it's now a chasm. These are chasms. And he will not mention any of that. He's just going to mention that the kids are now back in school and we're supposed to, we're just supposed to forget about the previous two years and how absurd all of that was and excuse their behavior because uh they just came into the unions which by the way we'll talk about coming up at two the mask mandate is over in california in two weeks but san diego unified's come out and said they're still gonna have a mask mandate la unified did still mask mandate for kids uh san francisco says they're gonna do it the entire rest of the year still so they didn't even end they didn't end mask mandates like uh, DeSantis did in Florida. Remember, DeSantis came back and said it is illegal for a state for a, for a district to mandate masks. Right? Newsom didn't do that. He just kicked the can down to the districts to take the blunt. All right. So Biden will talk about kids are back in school. He'll give no other details, insight, or analysis, of course, or perspective. Uh, the fourth thing that he'll do. All right. So the first one is because of us. Uh, we, we declare victory over COVID. Second thing, um, oh, I've created more jobs than any other president in history. Third thing, kids are back in school. It's just wonderful. Then I'll talk about the American Rescue Plan. Oh, build back better. The American Rescue Plan, uh, record-setting investments in jobs and infrastructure and small business. Oh, we've rescued small businesses in America. <laughs> Man, what an absolute joke that is. Uh, the Fed... Fed says, uh, there's no inflation. What are you talking about? There's no inflation. There will be no inflation. And then, well, it's just a little inflation. Well, now it's just a transitory inflation. It's just temporary. It's just, now the Fed's freaking out and they have no idea what they're going to do to stop it. Those are the same people who rescued small businesses. 
And then the majority of a speech, which he wished wasn't even a thing that would ever come up, but it, now, unfortunately, it's going to be probably the, the main part of it, is Russia and Ukraine. And he's going to do this whole tough guy thing with Putin. He's going to talk about uh, our crippling sanctions, even though originally, of course, the crippling sanctions were meant to prevent Russia from engaging with Ukraine, from attacking, not engaging, from attacking Ukraine. They were supposed to prevent him from doing it. Biden's not going to acknowledge that. Uh, we've done what we've accomplished, it seems like, in Ukraine is, is next to nothing. I do not even think it is a controversial thing to say that the women in Ukraine making Molotov cocktails in the street have done more to defend Ukraine against the Russians than America has, and certainly than Biden has. So he'll talk tough against Putin, just like he did two years ago or a year or whatever during the campaign. He's like, oh, it's because of me. Right, let me see if I can pull it. Oh, I know my phone. I know I got the video on my phone. Uh, I don't know where it is. I can find it during the break, maybe. And he's like, oh, you know, Putin doesn't want me to be president because I've gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with Putin. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't seem to care, did he? <laughs> so those are the five things that he's going to bring up. Uh No humility as these stated. Well, there may be a, there, there, ah, geez, you'd think, you'd think there'd be a little bit of humility about inflation. Like a little, no, but that's not humility. There'll be acknowledgement of inflation. Maybe not though. Maybe they'll be as delusional as uh, Chuck Todd and come back and be like, the economy's great. I don't know what you guys are complaining about. May do that. Maybe there'll be a little bit of, uh, yes, uh, your inflation has been tough and we're doing everything we can to stop it. But it's their fault or it's Trump's fault, or it's Russia's fault, or it's someone else's fault. None of it will be like, oh, geez, maybe we shouldn't have passed trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. You remember uh, Biden's inaugural address? He said, America had, has much to repair, much to restore, much to heal, much to build, much to gain. It's been a year. You have six months where you can blame the last guy. You got six months <laughs> where you can blame the president before you. That's it. Uh, his window's over. You can't blame Trump anymore, not a year in. So what has been repaired? What has been restored? What has been healed? What has been built? What has been gained? Genuine question. He promised to do great things in his inaugural address. To make America a strong and trusted partner for peace, progress, and security. And to answer the call of history. All this absurd, uh, grand, fake rhetoric from politicians of this era. We're going to answer the call of history in his approval ratings in the 30s. George Washington. 1796, first State of the Union. He ended with, uh, to repeat my fervent supplications to the supreme ruler of the universe and sovereign arbiter of nations that his providential care may still be extended to the United States. I love that. Sovereign arbiter of nations. Obviously, there'll be no grand appeal to God. Maybe a flippant to me, God bless America. 
but nothing about the true roots of the problems of this country, nothing about the true root of the State of the Union. 858-522-5775. There's your five things. You can uh, take those to the bank. Coming up next, we'll talk about pausing at the precipice. Precipice. Uh, super important to do for every ask, everything in your life. Right? Your marriage, it's good to pause at the precipice. Uh, with your kids, it's good to pause. Take the pause. Take a breath. Pause. Always wait. Pause. Uh, I read the other day, it's like a French child care thing. or They have a word for it. Le pause. I don't know what pause is in French, but they literally call it the pause. And it's just this idea of like, just, just wait a second before you react. And I uh, encourage us all to do the same thing when it comes to uh, our foreign policy. We'll talk about that next. 858 Mike Slater Show, spread the word. It would be amazing if Trump were given the response. What, whatever you feel about Trump running for president in 2024, you know it would be awesome if he gave the response. And if there was ever a year for him to give the response, it would be the year after he was president, right? And it would just be one just big giant, like, well, this didn't happen when I was president, right? That, so that would have been entertaining at least. And I don't even, it's like the governor of Iowa or something. I don't know. What it, um, okay. I got a uh, story here I want to share. Not story, analysis. Um, we mentioned this in passing earlier, this piece, a little bit of it. It's called pressing uh, pausing, excuse me, pausing at the precipice. Precipice. I feel, I feel like I'm saying that word wrong. Precipice. That's right, isn't it? Precipice. precipice. Why is it? Didn't that sound wrong? Say it. Say it. When's the last time you said the word precipice? Precipice. What do I want to say? I want to say, I don't know I want to say it. That just sounds weird. Edge. Pausing at the edge. Uh, when confronted with a new geopolitical crisis, my thoughts often turn to Michael Mazar's 2019 book, Leap of Faith, Hubris, Negligence, and America's Greatest Foreign Policy Tragedy. This book is about the lead up to the 2003 invasion of Iraq. To discover how the U.S. leapt headlong into catastrophe, this guy read all of the administration wet memoirs, tracked down all available open source material on the pre-war debates, interviewed just about everybody involved except George W. Bush himself. His book and others like it pop a few common myths about the Bush administration's drive to war. Okay, let's just uh, pause for a second. So let's uh, jog your memory again. 2003, we're just after 9-11, we're in Afghanistan, and then we're, we're talking about Iraq. We're fighting Iraq, we're attacking Iraq. Um, Go, go back to that. I mean, it was 20 years ago, right? Um, so, so think, like, like, where were you? What were you thinking? How were you feeling? What state of mind were you in? Uh, I remember this was when I first started paying attention to the news, and I remember uh, Shepard Smith, and I remember uh, Neil Cavuto and pictures of shock and awe and, and things getting blown up and night vision cameras in, in Baghdad and all that, right? But... What were the reasons? Do you remember why we went into Iraq? Do you remember the anti-war protests? Blood for oil, no, no war for oil, that whole kind of thing, right? Just want to get our, our minds right where we are. The administration did not intentionally mislead the nation into battle. That was one of the criticisms, that, that Bush lied. Bush lied, people died. But that's not true. He did not intentionally mislead. 
motivated reasoning, not deceit, warped their understanding of events. Also, oil was never central to the campaign. That was another thing, no more for oil, right? When it appeared in war council discussions, it did so only under the rosy assumptions that Iraq's oil revenues would be sufficient to cover construction costs. How did that ridiculous concept go? Contrary to the received wisdom in many quarters today, the invasion of Iraq was not about the spreading liberal democracy, about the spreading liberal democracy in the Middle East. Right? So why did that? Because you may be thinking, well, we, we went to war in Iraq because we wanted to spread democracy in the Middle East. Nope. That justification came mostly in 2004 and the years that followed. Why? Because weapons of mass destruction had been exposed as delusion. Remember weapons of mass destruction? The threats of weapons of mass destruction. He's going to use the weapons of mass destruction. He already did use chemical gases once. So a chemical agent. So we got to kill him, kill him, and to get rid of him. So he can't. Saddam can't do all this again. Um, uh, I remember like a year or so later, not even a year. I forget. I guess it was sooner. We couldn't find the weapons of mass destruction. So we're like, oh, he moved them. He, he threw them into the river. He moved them across the border. He buried them. And I remember watching Shepard Smith, and they're like, oh, I think we found them. And like, they weren't them or whatever. Uh, oh, I think we found them, and it was just like a van. <laughs> it's like there were no weapons of mass destruction. And I remember holding on to that for a long, 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 long time. They were there. They were there. He got rid of them. They were there. No, they weren't there. Perhaps the most astonishing fact about America's invasion of Iraq is that the National Security Council never formally debated the decision to wage war. This is the part that's relevant to today. Uh, this is one National Security Council main guy after leaving office. One of the great mysteries to me is exactly when the war in Iraq became inevitable. When did it become inevitable? His confusion is understandable. There was no moment, no meeting, where the pros and cons of invasion were laid out in full. No one ever asked, should we invade? Instead, they debated questions like, if we invade, what must we do to prepare? And when we invade, what must our objectives be? He explains that uh, curious lack of first order thought, the origin point of the motivated reasoning that produced both flawed intelligence assessments and unnecessarily hasty demands for action all as a byproduct of, and here's this guy's key, moral imperatives. All right, last part. Uh, here's how this other person introduces the framework. Uh, it's an, emerge, uh, an intuitive emergent mechanism of judgment that is driven primarily by imperatives, a sense among a nation's leadership group at a specific moment that a given choice is the, quote, right thing to do, in a sense that is more moralistic than calculatedly rational. So you hear this from the left all the time. I uh, hear from Biden, or excuse me, uh, Obama, a ton, uh, the right side of history. You got to be on the right side of history. Oh, don't be like those conservatives who are on the wrong side of history. You always hear about this. The mo moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. It's terrible Martin Luther King Jr. line. That's just not true. Uh, but the right side of history, you hear this all the time. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Why do we, we bring things down? Why do we bring war down to these uh, moral terms? I even got one today. Someone sent me a... Uh, a type of moral blackmail today. Let me pull it up here. Like all I wrote is, 
hey, China loves our, would love it if we got dragged into a war with Russia, <laughs> which is obviously true. This guy said, well, when did conservative media get so soft on Russia? Right, so not wanting a World War III with Russia is soft on Russia. See how that game works? So why do we do this? There are so many unknowns in war. And that's been the main thing we talked about all week of this, of this whole thing, is no one knows what's going on. No one knows what's going on. You can't trust anything. Uh, everyone's lying. Surely Ukrainians are, and whether it's purposefully or not, I, you know the Russians are lying. Uh, we mentioned briefly, but there was this really popular Russian blogger uh, from some big think tank, and it's fake. It's not a real person. His face was artificially intelligence generated. Like the whole thing was fake, right? It's like so many lies. There's the, the picture going around of like 12 soldiers on their stomach surrendering. And one headline says, here's 12 Russian soldiers surrendering to Ukraine. And another one says, here's 12 Ukrainian soldiers uh, surrendering to Russia. Like you know, no one has any idea what's going on. There's so many unknowns. You have no clue what's going on. No one even knows where Ukraine is on a map, right? Like we got, we got nothing. And no one knows what's going to happen next. That's for sure. And we don't like that. We can't stand not, like, I don't, do you even know what you're having for dinner tonight? Like, there's an unease in you when you're not sure what's for dinner. Let alone, oh, gee, is it time for World War III? Like, they talk about an unease. So we have to figure it out. Figure it out. So we simplify, we simplify, those are in quotes, figure it out. So we simplify and simplify and simplify and simplify. And then we, um, get to something that looks like, oh, we have to stay in Iraq because we um, uh, uh, we need to uh, uh, sp uh, spread democracy. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. I want to be on the right side of history. <laughs> Everyone who said that turned out to be on the wrong side. There is no side, of course. But... See how that works? Uh, last quote, the cognitive shock and moral outrage we feel is deepened by the relative uselessness of our position. Without risk of nuclear escalation, NATO's ability to prevent Ukrainian defeat is limited. This is a humiliating position for the most powerful statesmen in the Western world. Right? The idea that we can do little, it's not good. It doesn't feel good. Any man forced into such circumstance will feel compelled to find some way to reassert his agency, get our power back. Clearly, we've been weakened and weakened and weakened, and uh, Biden is going to want to, and people around him are going to want him to uh, be strong again and assert your, weak, your strength. Our emotions will demand that we do something, if only to prove to ourselves that we still have the capacity to act. The logic of the imperative has led the West into disaster before. We must be vigilant, lest we blindly leap into catastrophe once again. So it's really tough, right? Because you get the, uh, and, and you, other people say it to you to be unfair, and people will say it to you, and you say it to yourself too, and it, right? Oh, you're just going to sit back and do nothing? That's the thing, right? How about that? That's just blackmail. It's moral blackmail. You're going sit to sit back and do nothing while people die in Ukraine? Jeez. What if the something is worse? But no one, no one thinks about that, right? Because they don't want to, because their goal is not to make things more complicated. Their goal is to make things more simplified. So if they say, like, if they try to morally blackmail you, oh, you, you want people to die? You coming back with a question or more nuance or a hypothetical or a suggestion, it's like, oh, well, no, I don't want that. 
<laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to make things even simpler for me to wrap my head around. And ultimately, it's, you know, ultimately narcissism, right? It's like, oh, I'm so great because I have this position. It's very noble to go in and rescue a person from a burning building. Absolutely. But what if attempting to rescue them results in them dying, you dying, and 10 other people dying too? <laughs> okay, well, in that case, stand, you stood by and did nothing? While the person burned in the house, you did nothing. I understand morally that may be very, very difficult for you. Even though if it was rationally the right thing, our brains have a really, really tough time handling that. So let's try to let's try to handle that before we start World War Three. Hey, Senator, this is Georgetown Law Professor Ilya Shapiro. There were calls for him to get fired because he was against. Biden. Oh, that'll come up at the State of the Union, of course, too. But he was against Biden saying that we should only pick a black woman for the Supreme Court. Instead, you should pick someone of merit. And he's like, you know, it'd be a great pick for the Democrats would be this Indian woman, uh, Indian American. Uh, but uh, but alas, whatever. So uh, big freakouts, calls to fire, blah, blah. Here he is speaking at uh, a law school just yesterday. <laughs> It's the, it's the black law students. That's UC Hastings up in San Francisco. So here, just one more, just in case you missed the argument, I know it can be a subtle argument. Mm, mm, mm. Very good, very good. One of them's holding a uh, sign that says, I am not lesser. Because he said uh, instead he's going to nominate a lesser black woman. He's like, oh, that was inartfully worded. But uh, I mean, less qualified because he uh, he said black woman as opposed to just the best person. Anyway, so this woman said, I'm not I'm not lesser as she's uh, yelling and uh, banging her hand on the table. Uh, this this is uh, people. These are people. These are... <laughs> uh. The UT wrote a story about a, a Russian restaurant. All right, that's not quite right. A restaurant that serves Russian food in Gasland. This guy's owned it for seven years. And he's received eight threatening phone calls, a lot of Yelp reviews, one-star Yelp reviews, and then many canceled reservations because he's Russian, or it's a Russian restaurant. This is a perfect example of what I was just talking about. Like, people want to do something. They want to do something, so they are moved by their feelings and do really stupid things. So first of all, this guy was born in Armenia. His family lives in Ukraine. He came from Russia 24 years ago to escape Russia. This was just before Putin came to power. So he's on our side. He's not, (laughs) he said, we're all immigrants here that fled Russia because of his regime and wanted to find a better place for ourselves. And he didn't say this, but I imagine he'd be like, oh, but like Russian food's good. And uh, there's not a lot of Russian restaurants around. So we thought we opened up a Russian restaurant so you white people can eat Russian, <laughs> you Americans can eat Russian food for, I don't know. He said he named the restaurant after his favorite uh, Russian poet, Alexander Pushkin, who was repressed by the Russian regime and was against war. He says the menu offers a mix of Russian, Ukrainian, Polish, Armenian, and other cuisines. Only a few of the ingredients he uses 
are imported from Russia. I wonder what ingredients would need to be imported from Russia. That's pretty interesting. Uh, trying to cancel a restaurant because it has Russia in its name is hurting our employees and it's hurting their families in Ukraine. Who they send money to. People are not, uh, not the brightest. Uh, let me play this quick. So this is Kamala Harris. She's on a, uh, a show called The Morning Hustle, which used to be the name of our show when we had The Morning Show. We were called, we were called The Morning Hustle as well. So this is Kamala Harris. This is the vice president of the United States. If you're watching any level of news, even social media, you're seeing everything that's going on right now in the Ukraine. Break it down in layman's terms for people who don't understand what's going on and how can this directly affect the people of the United States. So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. Now that's the only clip that people, <laughs> that people are sharing. Uh, a couple of things, a little radio inside. First of all, that's an edited clip. It sounds edited. Uh, I'm actually certain that was edited. Uh, they recorded that interview first and then they edited it down to time because that's what people do in FM radio land. Uh, so I want to hear the original clip and I want to hear the, f not just 30 seconds of that clip, but still that's a good testament to people like the audience that she's speaking to, uh, and, uh, also, uh, her, cause even if you dumb it down, you don't have to dumb it down to someone who just, who's never like, like a one year old. Like I've, like I've, I have more intelligent breaking down to my five-year-old than she just did right there. Even though I don't think she could even do uh, I don't know if she's much smarter than that, that anyway. Okay, now, now explain it to me like I'm in the 12th grade. I don't know if she could even do that much better. But back to the restaurant. Uh, this feeling, this moral imperative, we have to do something. When you feel like that, then you get stuff like this where you don't ask any questions, right? You're just like, oh, it's a Russian restaurant. We got to burn it to the ground. You're like, well, are like, do they support Putin? <laughs> are, they, are they from Ukraine? Do they support Ukraine? Ah, uh, don't ask questions. Burn them down. Come on. Think. Mike Slater, spread the word.